strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. And tonight on Notorious Knowledge, I'm going to teach you a little bit about forks. Oh, yeah? Just a little bit. Sure. Did you know that forks used to be sacrilegious? I mean, in terms of the fact that they either look like a trident for Neptune or that they look like the pitchfork for the devil. Those are the only two things I can imagine why they would be sacrilegious. Maybe. Let's find out. So forks were used in ancient Egypt as well as Greece and Rome, but they weren't used for eating. Instead, they were lengthy cooking tools used for carving and lifting meats. What did they use to eat with, Robin? Most diners ate with their fingers and a knife, which they brought to the tables themselves. The first fork was introduced in Italy in the 11th century when Maria Agrippinilla, Greek niece of Byzantine Emperor Basil II, showed up in Venice with a case of golden forks for her marriage and wedding feast to Giovanni, son of Pietro Aiolo II, the Doge of Venice. These forks alarmed religious leaders who said that they were using artificial hands was an offense to God. Uh- I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> the a fork, fork was an artificial hand? <laughs> the religious leaders That's a stretch. said the artificial hands was an offense to God. That's a stretch. When Maria died of the plague two years later, St. Peter Damien suggested that it was God's punishment for her lavish ways. Nor did she dine to touch her food with her fingers, but would command her eunuchs to cut it up into small pieces, which she would then impale on a certain gold instrument with two prongs and thus carry to her mouth. I'm sorry. I believe that you said something that requires a discussion. Eunuchs? Uh, her eunuchs? She just had a, a fleet of them? Um, a small army, perhaps? She came to a town with, with purpose. Samaria so was apparently doomed by God for using a fork. I mean, I think she should be doomed for the, the eunuchs, maybe not necessarily the forks. No matter what, table manners certainly changed since the 11th century. Thank God. Where's my fork? Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial membership. So go to audibletrial.com slash notorious narratives to browse Audible's unmatched selections, such as Alice Hoffman's Museum of Extraordinary Things, a book that fuses fiction and history, set in Coney Island with a mystery surrounding the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. It's right up my alley. So go to audibletrial.com slash notorious narratives to get a free title today. It's that simple. And tonight I'm going to talk to you about the castrato. Huh? Yes. What? This week I ran across an article, as usual, mm-hmm. that sent me down a wild and crazy rabbit hole. And I found myself looking up all the famous opera singers who had been castrated. Holy shit. Oh. And then I found out that it's a whole thing and a whole culture and a whole time and a whole... Where opera singers were castrated? Yes. It was so popular that it was actually a thing. It's an uncomfortable thing. So my sister-in-law, her mother is an opera singer. Well, she's a female opera singer. Yes. Which, if women had been allowed to be a part of the things, this would not have happened. So. Whoa. A castrato, also called a virato, is a male soprano that has a great range, flexibility, and power with his voice. This type of voice is produced as a result of castration before puberty. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Did I, did I mention that this is a tough one? There's going to be some... Baby, real, little, little children? 
There's going to be some genital mutilation for children. It's going to be a little aggressive. It's going to be a little bit. Um, I think that you should warn people. Yes. So tr- trigger warnings, left, right, center. And I will say, while often looking back, history sucks for women. This one's going to be a little uncomfortable for the men. I feel like there's going to be some men listening to this in holding a car, their, holding, yeah. just sucking their crotches in and Ugh. just a little cross-legged, Ugh. feeling a little uncomfortable. Oh, boy. This type of voice was particularly popular in opera, and opera singers who had this type of voice were celebrated throughout history, mm-hmm. particularly in medieval Rome. A pivotal feature of the opera was female singers who were capable of hitting notes at a high register. But in medieval Italy, the Catholic Church forbade women from singing in any religious setting. So they used young boys in their choirs. Why? But to make things worse, in 1588, Pope Sixtus V, don't think that's lost on me, um, (laughs) furthered the female singer ban by restricting them from singing on any kind of stage whatsoever as he had taken St. Paul's injunction that women should remain silent in church to the extreme. Yes. So at some point, St. Paul believed that women should remain silent in church. So women were banned from singing inside church. But then Pope Sixtus V decided that the use of their voice on any stage Mm -hmm. that was revered was equal to being in a church. So he banned... All stages. Yeah. Women singing in any any form right hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price Got your happy price, price line. This posed a major problem for the opera world, as sopranos were particularly essential to the art. There could be no opera without a soprano. Young male singers were capable of hitting the same notes as an adult female soprano, but only for a brief time, and then upon puberty, their immature voices would break and lower as they approached manhood. In response to this perceived problem, Man manipulated nature through a deviant process of castrating young boys at just the proper time to stunt their vocal cords and capture their high, youthful voices. The unique tone and quality of the voice, coupled with the ability of the intensely trained singers to execute extremely difficult, florid vocal passages, made the castrati the rage of opera audiences and contributed to the spread of the Italian opera. So the reason why all of these Italian operas are popular today is really because of this particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. So while it is unpalatable, to say the very least, it moved the art form forward. Not for great reasons, but... A little mildly disturbed about it. Yeah, it's going to only get worse. Uh, Sorry, Robin. I mean... There are so many different types of cultures out there that do the whole castration and all those things for their beliefs and stuff. This is about music. So I understand the power that music has in a lot of different cultures. But but more importantly, but Robin. Just for this one specific thing. like The for, thing I want you to really think about during this is that they're not doing it for music per se. Mm-hmm. They're doing it for fame. So think about the things that people do today 
For fame. For fame. And just remember that in reference. And I think it'll help you digest it a little easier. That was sort of the, Mm. as I read and read and read, it started to be like, you know, you think about like pageant mothers, you think about people who go on American Idol, you think about like Kardashians, people who suck fat out of and stuff fat into all the places of their bodies. Got it. And do all manner of insane shit on YouTube. Remove their ribs so they have right. a smaller waistline. Right, for just a Got moment it. of Got glory. It. So, you know, this was a chosen career path. It was a career path. Um, and with that career path came a lifestyle and a set of sacrifices that was very specific. So even if you think about today, somebody who decides they're going to become an elite athlete, right? This is a child who may never have sweets. This is a child who may never understand sleepovers and certain friendships. It comes with sacrifice. In the 18th century opera, the majority of male singers were castrati. So castrati is the plural of castrato, which was the word that I said before. The most famous Italian castrati was Carlo Broschi, known as Farinelli. The practice of castration reached its greatest prominence in the 17th and 18th century opera. Though the practice of castration itself was illegal and inhumane, it produced an adult voice of extraordinary power attributable to the greater lung capacity and physical bulk of that of an adult male. And so arose the unpleasant practice of castrating young boys between 8 and 10 so that they would never reach puberty. Castration before puberty prevents a boy's larynx from being transformed by the normal physiologic process of puberty. Now, did they know this before they did it? So while... So there was test. There were people that they tested it on? Well... Child... This isn't the first time in history that people are castrated. Oh, I know that. Oh, please. So they're aware of the side effects... Fucking shit. ...of castration by this point in medieval Italy. I have disturbed Robin so fully. She's like wiggling her toes, looking into her glass of wine. She wants no part of me. I'm just thinking. And I'm sorry. I'm like, my nephew's birthday is this month and he's going to be six. And I'm just like, get the fuck away from him. (laughs) Well, I promise you no one's coming for his testicles. Do you want me to stop? I'm disturbed, but I'm okay. As a result, the vocal range of prepubescence, which is shared by both sexes, you know, kids around eight or nine, you can probably hear a recording and not really know if it's a boy or a girl and this by the process of castration this is largely retained and the voice develops into adult adulthood in a very unique way the practice of castration not only affected the boys voices but also the rest of their bodies and they ended up with this curious body that was tall and with very long limbs they were typically very fat with a larynx much like that of a woman As the castrato's body grew, his lack of testosterone meant that the joints in his long bones would never quite harden in the normal manner. Thus, the limbs of the castrati were often unusually long, and as the same thing with the bones of their ribs. This, combined with intensive training, gave an unrivaled lung power and breath capacity. So because the same thing with their, like, joints and their rib cage is never quite hardened. So when they're learning to Flexible. sing, right, they get very, out, yeah. right, they're able to really manipulate air. They're like a, yeah, they're like a balloon. Right. Exactly. They're like a balloon. It's like they're able to, like, or like a bellows, you know. Yeah. They're able to manipulate air in a way that another adult just isn't able to. 
Operating through small child-sized vocal cords, their voices were also extraordinarily flexible and quite different from the equivalent adult male voice. Their vocal range was higher than that of the uncastrated adult male. Listening to the only surviving recordings of a castrato, one can hear that the lower part of the voice sounds like the super high part of a tenor, with more of a falsetto-like upper register above that. So, I'm going to play what it sounds like. That's a boy. It's a grown man. Whoa. That is a grown man. So, I mean, certainly I would not believe that that was a grown man. No. So that is a little bit of like what they were going that for. that sounds is like. And we'll talk more about the gentleman who was singing towards the end. The castrati were rarely referred to as such. So we know them historically as the castrati, this group of people who were castrated to create this type of voice. But in the 18th century in Italy, that's not really what they were called. They were called Iveratu, which meant emasculated, or they were known as euphemism musico, or they were called eunuchs, which is one that uh, a term that you may have heard before. I'm told that there is a eunuch in Game of Thrones, which I stopped mm-hmm. watching a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a much more general term. Historically, eunuchs are castrated after puberty. There's actually a few of them. Right. And so... It's not really exactly the same, but the term was still used. But any of these terms were used were not used with kindness. No. They were used in a very derogatory manner to, to make these people feel bad about themselves and to basically, uh, you know, talk shit about them. Yeah, that's awful. In Italy, though, uh, these people who were singing in the operas were very well renowned. And to become one of them was a great honor. I know that. So castration became a large and grisly business, particularly in Italy. So, I mean, so like I said before, think of it in terms of pageant children, child modeling, or sports. Well, that's what I mentioned before. I was like, to be the ultimate that they can be. Right. In their eyes. It's like, oh my God, my kid likes to sing. Yeah. So how do I make my kid the best singer? In order for them. Yeah. So poor families would often volunteer at least one of their sons for castration, as this was like a lottery ticket, with a better chance of earning fame and fortune than any other way accessible to them. For the family. Right. So you imagine like, okay, like you have 10 kids, let's say five of them are boys. One of them's really good at singing. Uh, Got nine others. So so I'm going to allow someone to castrate my child to make me money. Yeah. So by the 1700s, an estimated 4,000 young men received the operation each year, but only 80% of them survived. So there's a 20% likelihood that they would die during the process. What kind of fucking process is it? We will. I will tell you. So then, the average age dirt with a rusty knife. It was illegal. So So, yeah. So it wasn't in a. It wasn't in a sterilized situation i mean this is medieval italy so well certainly not you know what i but mean definitely not you know what i mean so the average age of a castration subject 
was eight years old. And while the practice was extremely common, it was technically illegal. The procedure was gruesome. The child was placed in a very hot bath of water and special herbs and spices. This allowed the testicles to lengthen and draw away from the body. As there was no anesthesia at the time for this illegal procedure, many of them were fed alcohol and drugs to reduce the pain and the struggle. The testicles were then compressed to destroy their structure. And then the vas deferens, or the spermatic cord, was cut by something resembling gardening shears. The 20% that died did so from stress, infection, and overdose. A lot of times they used opium and other narcotics to dull the pain. Other deaths were from doctors putting these children into comas by using carotid massage, which is so essentially they would rub both sides of the neck very deeply. And that causes your heart rate to drop significantly, mm-hmm. creating like a comatose like state. Your pressure plants, right? Right. So, I mean, ideally, they were trying to make the process less painful, but 20% of children would succumb to this process gardening shears i mean it resembled garden shears but i think the important thing that i wanted to kind of express like while i'm discussing this is not just that the horror of it but that even though they were going to go through this they did so willingly to get away from the poverty also i always thought that castration meant that they took the balls off the testicles away but the testicles remained they just cut the cord inside. And so the testicles would wither over time, but they were still there. I which, thought it was removal of the testicles. Right, which so I, it's just it's just basically the the tube. Yeah. Right. So essentially, the, yeah, yeah, the supply that create mm-hmm. like allowed the testosterone to enter the bloodstream. Yeah, yeah. Which I was really so surprised now, about. So So now they have these uh, I hate to say this, but these dead testicles on their body. Yeah, but they like wither and shrink what? up. I mean, they'll never be older than eight. I mean, at that point, I'd rather you just take them off. Uh, I don't think you do want that, though, because then you leave a huge gaping wound in medieval Italy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you're, you've already done this to me. Hard pass. You've already done this to me. Sepsis of the testicles. You know, know. we're not looking for a necrotic wound down there. I mean, there were already significant risk for infection. So that's funny because I I mean, it's not funny, but I I also none of this is funny. I also thought that they removed them completely. I didn't know that it was just a little snip. Still very, very bad. But in my mind, it was a lot worse than I thought. I was a little disturbed by the um, by the herbs and spices because yeah. it made me think a little bit of KFC and then I was the like 40, the 40 plus spices don't forget your onion powder I oh was like God. what is this I love is, a good onion powder this is bizarre I'm like why do they need to He's have herbs and them. spices in there them. yeah this it, it's weird it's, it's weird. very weird it's very weird alright continue <laughs> continue my lady continue <laughs> so none of this laughter is for laughing it's mostly for robin sitting there drinking her wine as fast as she can to numb the pain of me talking about stewing children and herbs and spices so even after all of this there was no guarantee that their voice even if it didn't deepen would ever be good enough for them to succeed though officially this may have been seen as a sign of serving god by way of art in fact it was commercially motivated and families hoped for fame and fortune But of the many thousands who were castrated, only perhaps 100 became successful and with secure careers, and only a handful of those became superstars. So out of thousands, only about 100. 
and even out of the hundred, probably only ten became superstars. It's like one percent. But these chosen few lived in luxury, touring the great opera houses of Europe from Madrid to Moscow, commanding fabulous fees and bringing both male and female admirers to their knees. Because they're such wonders and they have such a great voice that they would want them to have children to continue to have, hopefully that their children oh, are no, no, no. as well But you have to remember that musically that, inclined as that's like festival. That's like saying that you want... Anna Nicole Smith to have extra babies, but it's all manufactured. It's not real. Mm. That voice isn't real. That voice is manufactured by man. Yeah, it was made. So it's like being like, oh my God, she's so beautiful, but she's had. She's manufactured by man. (laughs) Yeah, she's had everything filled and talked and lifted. It's not the actual genetic makeup, it's not a genetic predisposition to having a great voice. Those who did not reach the top might work in smaller church choirs, but unfortunately, many turned to sex work. For the castrati, training was rigorous, but if they were able to, if they were able to keep up with their training and the demanding schedule, and if they were sufficiently talented, they were able to make their debut in their mid-teens with a perfect technique and a voice of a flexibility and power that no woman or ordinary male singer could ever match. In the 1720s and 1730s, this was like the height of the craze for this voice. While many came from poor homes and were castrated by their parents in the hope that their child might become successful and lift them from poverty, such as the case for Senesino, which was one of the most popular castrati. He actually did come from a poor home. There were also those who actually requested the procedure. One of the most famous castrati, Caffarelli, actually came from a wealthy home, and as a child, he had a beautiful angelic voice, and he hoped to become a singer. So his family actually paid with the money from their vineyards for him to go to all of these schools and had him castrated so that he could become a singer, and he was actually immensely talented and one of the most popular. So while typically it was done as like, a luck of the draw, let's like hope this turns out well. There were actually children who who wanted it. What's sad is that these children wanted it, but there was a 20% chance that they wouldn't live through it. I'm sure that they didn't tell them that. Well, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, come on. Well, I mean, did they know that, right? No. How would how would the parents have even known? Yeah. It's not like today where you can like Google on the internet and like ignore what you don't want to see. I it's do just not like want that on my Google search. If you don't know, like if you've actually never met one, you don't really understand yeah, the process. No, no. So these poor children, they they're basically volunteering to have a possibility of dying. Yeah, or becoming a superstar. And this 80/20. particular one, Caffarelli, became a superstar. Eighty twenty, man. Eighty twenty. Do you think twenty percent of child stars die? Overdoses. Oh yeah, probably. Same. Same. You become a star, or you crash and burn. Whoa, deep. Not to, not to rain on this amazingly, amazingly happy parade. It didn't seem this bad when I was writing it. I have a weird detachment thing that happens. Is it because I, of, of my comments towards it? But yeah, you bring this to me without any warning. I didn't want to tell you. I know, I know. Most of our things we don't want to tell each other because of their marked bizarre appearance there was a ban on them marrying 
there was little room for them in society outside of their musical context, and therefore the castrati became victims of a great amount of severe and unkind abuse. As their fame and popularity increased, so did many people's hatred of them. They were blamed for being the seducers of men who lured men into homosexuality with their feminine appearance. While there were homosexual castrati, there were also many heterosexual castrati. Ones, as well, who were able to, due to their feminine appearance, carry on lurid affairs with married women directly under their husbands' noses. Few boys chose to be castrati, as having this procedure would limit what you could do with the remainder of your life, especially if you were not talented enough to become one of the famous opera singers. They lived on the fringes of society, honestly belonging nowhere. These men were forbidden from partaking in the church, the government, the military, and could have no families of their own. They were entertainers for the masses and nothing else. So how would one know that they were the, the, the bunch that were castrated? You could tell they were very because of looking. Because of their appearance. Yeah, they were very, I mean, and their voice, the second they speak. When a man speaks at that high of a register, you know. Custrati were infamous for their eroticism. And they were also infamous for their temper tantrums and their insufferable vanity. Regarded as highly emotional and excessive, they often engaged in catty infighting with other performers and friends. They were groomed for the stage, including all of its drama in all of their temperament. You groomed someone at the age of between 8 and 10. They're going to act like they're 8 and 10 for the rest of their lives. Yes. Castrati, while biological men, often appeared to be female and acted as such. They lived outside the scope of normal gender, much to the sexual confusion of those around them. Castrati, seen as neither male nor female, were a sexual temptation to both men and women who fantasized about their unconventional ways to find pleasure. In fact, Castrato singers' reputations were perpetually salacious, and their sexual exploits could be compared to those of modern-day celebrities. Some, however, I mean, R. Kelly, I don't know. Yes. Topical. Topical. Um, Some, however, found no success in opera and resorted to sex work or singing in the streets for change in order to support themselves. Even though many adored the castrati, there were plenty who found them repugnant, and their admiration was greatly mixed with public scorn. Often referred to as geldings, nature's rejects, and many castrati suffered from depression and often committed suicide. By the 18th century, changes in operatic tastes and social attitudes spelled the end for the castrati. After the unification of Italy in 1861, castration for musical purposes was officially made illegal, as the new Italian state had adopted the French legal code which expressly forbade the practice. In 1878, Pope Leo VIII prohibited the hiring of new castrati by the church. Only in the Sistine Chapel and in the other papal basilicas in Rome did a few castrati linger. The invasive procedure of castration in the name of art was banned in the early 19th century. However, Italian doctors continued to... So even by, like, the early 1800s, it was illegal. Mm -hmm. But many Italian doctors still created castrati until up to 1870 because of their revered performances inside the Sistine Chapel. Italy and the Catholic Church had been mesmerized by castrato singers for over the past 300 years, making it a difficult habit for them to break. 
So even though it was illegal, the church just kept doing it. While the castrati were extremely popular with audiences, parents of young boy, boy singers were becoming less comfortable with castrating their sons. In the late 1700s, Italian families were emerging from poverty and felt no need to subject their children to money-making schemes. Intellectuals also began protesting forced castration, and many believed that the practice was unnatural. Fucking clearly. Thank you. <laughs> An increased effort to bring women back into theater also aided this shift. Young boys were disinterested in becoming castrati, and due to the deficit of subjects and growing moral outrage, the Pope was forced to outlaw the practice in 1903. I mean, the so it took him till 1903 to finally be like, fine, oh, we'll stop. Fine, okay. Like the constant, the constant terrorism that these constratis are getting that weren't the, the popular crew, right? The ones, the, the 1% or less than 1% that actually made a living on it. These people were were tormented they were called names they were bullied in all aspects they couldn't hold a job they weren't couldn't allowed get to married marry. like they were lonely people who were just trying to to survive in this world yeah so a chance that was taken when they were eight seeing like, that if you um, think about decisions that got made when you were eight years old my decision was like oh you want to take tap this year i'm like yeah okay cool. i needed a second leg warmer I know. You know. It's like I needed two pairs of leg warmers. That was the I biggest had a decision spur, I made. And like I had, I, you know, I needed to change my leotard. But, <laughs> you know, these these poor people who who went through this entire process and came out on the bad end of the entire thing, and people see that, family see that, children now see that. It also became a, I want to say a a flag. To say, hey, this might be you if you decide to do this. This might be you if you want your child to do this. You know, it's not 100% guarantee that your child is going to be famous if you do this like this procedure. So I think that a lot of people, I mean, it's, it was walking advertisement, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the, the point really is that, like, when people are in that level of poverty, they'll do anything to get out. And if it means one of their children, they will sacrifice that one. Yeah. And. But in retrospect, but over the years, the poverty wasn't as bad. So there's like, exactly eh, not worth the chance because I don't want my child to be shunned. I don't want them to be sad and living on the outskirts of society as a sex worker and then eventually committing suicide. That's not what I want from my child. Because they reach a point where society gets to be a little more modern, where children are actually cherished mm-hmm. and not just seen as a burden and a way to move forward and f- as a workforce. Yeah. I mean, at one point, this one one of these late teenaged boys, I mean, I'm going I'm to say boys because, what, 15, 16 years old? They are less fortunate than a poor family by themselves not be able to do anything and so i'm sure you can find something else to do to raise money with you and your nine children exactly you know like well i mean by then there were there were starting of the industrial age with factories you could put those children right to work in a factory women and children throughout history are always going to be taking advantage of in any way possible So this is sort of a way to turn children into women and continually Mm -hmm. fuck them over. So by 1903, the practice has been outlawed. 
And the recording that I played earlier is actually from a man named Alessandro Moreschi, who was born in 1858, and he became known as the last castrato. He was the last castrati to sing inside the Sistine Chapel. And he sang inside the Sistine Chapel until 1921. Wow. He lived long enough to become the only one to ever be recorded. Known as the very last of his breed, he was castrated in 1865. So even though the ban on castration had come in the a few years earlier, he was still castrated in 1865. And he went on to have a very illustrious career. He was operated on very late in the history of these macabre musicians when there were a few others around. So he lacked the examples and the training that others had been offered. So listening to his recording, it's hard to say if that's what they truly sounded like because he would not have had the opportunity to be trained in the same way that a lot of the others had been. He retired in 1913 after 30 years of service to the Vatican and got a full pension. He is the first and only recording of a castrato singer. Because of Moreschi's unique vocal style, it is unlikely that he sang like the castrato singers of the past. So like I was saying before, Although the Italian castrati are the most prominent example of voluntary castration, the procedure dates back to ancient Samaria, where it was used to enslave and punish men. Eunuch singers, similar to those in medieval Rome, were believed to have existed in the early days of the Byzantine Empire around 400 AD to sing in choirs and entertain the public. They became increasingly popular in the 9th century until they all but disappeared in the early 1200s amid the sack of Constantinople during the Crusades. The practice of castrating young, vo- young boys to heighten their vocal ranges essentially vanished until the practice was adopted in Italy some 300 years later. Also, soldiers in Imperial China also engaged in voluntary castration, but not for vocal purposes. Before signing up for service, soldiers in 17th century China were castrated and employed to serve the emperor. So castration is not was not I only know. for. Yeah, I know. There are a lot of in China, other reasons. That was just basically, just because you're a warrior and that's all. Right. So that is the sad tale of the castrati and the things that people will do for fame, even in history. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.